0: Welcome to Trending in Education, Mike Palmer here, very pleased to be joined by Noah Teitelbaum. Noah is the Executive Director of Empowering Education, which is a a, a set of social-emotional learning programs focused on uh, K-8 through education, lots of interesting stuff, a lot of relevant trends and themes that we're going to pick up on around mindfulness, we're going to talk about uh, trauma-informed, we're going to talk about all sorts of things. But before we do any of that, I want to welcome Noah to the show. Noah, welcome to Trending in Education.
1: Thank you, Mike. So glad to be here.
0: Uh, Yeah, so we've intersected with each other through a relatively uh, long span of time, which is interesting, in a a few different uh, dimensions. We attended the same college at at different times. We're not going to divulge who was there first, although uh, although respect your elders, Noah. It's
1: really who finished first (laughs) with with our college, yeah.
0: (laughs) Who finished at all to begin with. Uh, But yeah, new college in Florida. And and then then we also intersected a bit around test prep when I was at Kaplan and you were at uh, Manhattan Preps. And that's covered a little bit of span of time. Excited to get your perspective on that although this is not the memoir show. This is not going, uh, spanning the years, talking about our careers. This is more about what are you doing since you left? There's some interesting work that, uh, that you've begun here with Empowering Education that we're going to want to talk about. And then also the world has just been a very challenging place. But, uh, but before we get into any of that, Noah, I'd love to have my guests introduce themselves to the audience to begin with by telling us your origin story. So what got <laughs> you to where you are at this point in your uh, professional life, and then why might folks who want to understand the world of learning and where it's headed, why might they be interested in what you got going on?
1: Wonderful. Thanks again for having me, Mike. I started in education in the year 2000. I came home from Croatia, where I was doing human rights work. I got into education into K-12 with the goal of becoming a school principal. I thought that was a place where I could affect positive change.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I thought, let's start by learning how to teach. I got into the Teaching Fellows program, which is similar to Teach for America, but specific to New York.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Ended up at a school in central Harlem, placed in Bank Street, where, which is a, a place where they teach constructivism, a type of pedagogy. And about my seventh day in teaching fifth grade, the dean knocks on the door, says, "Mr. T, do not let the kids out of the room we 're on lockdown and i said what what 's going on?" he said they 're attacking mm. they 're attacking with planes
0: mm-hmm.
1: i I turned thought, "My goodness, this is quite a dream i 'm having here yeah and I saw my kids and realized this is for real, yeah." and did my best to get through that day. Yeah. Parents came and got their kids pretty quickly, but some stayed the whole day, had a lot of interesting conversations. But it was the first time I clearly saw that I did not know how to meet the needs of my students. Wow, yeah. Um, I wish that had been the hardest day of the year, but it was not. And there were many more days where I fell way short of my vision of what I should be doing with those students Mm -hmm. um, and managing myself, my own feelings and the way I was relating to people and helping them with that. I, I stayed in the classroom for, I think about six years, became an instructional coach, helping other teachers hone their craft got into data-driven instruction, things like that, with a lot of the high-performing charter schools, like Uncommon Schools and KIPP and Achievement First.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I really learned to teach at North Star, which is run by Jamie Virilli, who now runs Relay. And the best assignment I ever got was teaching a fifth-grade math class three times a day, the same lesson, which I mm-hmm. thought was going to be terrible, but I got to really hone the craft of teaching there. Interesting. And I learned how to teach. I learned how to get kids to learn the things I wanted them to learn. Mm-hmm. I always was stressed though. I got eczema. I couldn't sleep well. Yeah. I, it was such a stressful job. I eventually, really because of that, decided I didn't want to be a principal. I figured if I am so stressed out as a teacher or instructional yeah. coach, how's it going to get any easier as a principal? And I went into helping teachers who work with adults at Manhattan Prep and then Kaplan, Mm -hmm. where we ended up bumping into each other. And I was glad to be able to bring some of those same ideas about constructivism and integrity of pedagogy to that work. I eventually got more into the business side of things and then went to business school. And when I came out, I took over this nonprofit, Empowering Education, which had been around for about 10 years and needed sort of a, a pivot and a bit more of uh, business savviness. That's how I got to where I am. And I like where I am because I'm getting to use my knowledge about how businesses run, how to get the word out, things like that. But I also have a lot of experience in the classroom and yeah. I have a lot of places where I think I didn't do that well. And mm-hmm. I'm really working on building a program that I think would have helped teachers like me yeah. because the A plus teacher they're doing okay, and you can give them kind of any program and they'll work it out. Yeah. It's the normal teachers who, right. that I think you got to design for. And yeah. I remember myself as that teacher.
0: Yeah, yeah. Super relevant in a lot of ways nowadays, too, in that teachers are very much frontline workers nowadays, particularly since the fall and the, mm. the spring as well. But the, when the, the medical crisis was front and center, the public health crisis was front and center education was an emergency pivot, and you maybe got a pass on the the end of the, 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 the previous academic year. But now coming into the fall, there was hope that there wouldn't be that much slippage, we won't see as much learning loss. But in order to maintain where we are, and then also really help the whole student, help the whole family, help the community, we need those frontline workers, our teachers, to be really thriving. And the reality is, that's really pretty near impossible in light of all the challenges that are out there. So I think to begin with, just to empathize with teachers out there, it sounds like that's something where even your origin story and my perception of you has always been as a teacher at heart. Can you talk about how empowering education is thinking about the connection between social-emotional learning and wellness and mindfulness and then being teacher-centered in addition to unlocking this potential in students?
1: Sure. When I started up, I started touring the schools that we were working with and started talking to schools we weren't working with and finding out what's going on with social and emotional learning. What I perceived was a lot of talk about it and then often not a lot of action, even in schools that had programs. And so we decided that was the problem to solve for organization to create a program that teachers would actually use. Mm -hmm. And it's not the sexiest thing, but that a teacher could get do well with even if they really didn't prep more than a few minutes. Yeah, Because yeah. there is so much coming at teachers. Yeah. And this is not to disparage them. I, w- I wish, I, I hope they prep the day before and, and yeah. do thinking and customization. But the reality is there's a million asks of teachers. Yeah, um, And graduate programs have caught up to a degree around social emotional learning, mm-hmm. but one class, doesn't do it and then to know actually what to do how do i teach coping skills sure and what and
0: and, and even the phrase coping skills is an abstraction as opposed to when you're actually in a class with a kid or if you're in a a zoom room with a, a fifth grader who is having a hard time that real life situation that people have to quote unquote cope with is something that isn't real until you experience it. And then when you're experiencing it frequently, you can feel isolated or or not supported. Can you flesh out a little more how your program is more about the actual delivery in the classroom as opposed to the more sort of hypothetical-
1: Aspirational. Aspirational
0: (laughs) component, yeah. It actually
1: goes back to some of the work that happened when I transitioned to working at, at Kaplan and we had this Product development consultant Jeff Gothelf come, mm-hmm. and he wrote a book Lean UX with Josh Seiden and great guys. And I thought it, that work was some of the most interesting work that I had done. The essence of that work is developing products that people actually uh, want, right. and to develop it iteratively versus like plot out your project and then yep. a year and a half later, drop it on the public and say, oh, what do you like? Yeah. The essential question of that process is, what's the most important thing to learn next? What's the cheapest, fastest way to learn that? Yep. I brought that to this work, I mean, a not-for-profit budget and all of that, but yeah. still able to do some of that. And the, the secret ingredient is not too fancy, it's actually going into classrooms, and actually teaching the lessons myself, yeah, having yeah. my program developer teach the lessons themselves, watch teachers doing it, watch struggling teachers do it, mm-hmm. watch masterful teachers, see what they do with our program. Yeah, One, one teacher, I'm out in Denver, one teacher, uh, Marie, in a very challenging classroom with some wonderful kids, but a lot of issues, I saw that she had created slides. We didn't have any slides, I realized, yeah. oh. yeah. This is what teachers do to Mm -hmm. organize their lessons now. Even though it's social-emotional learning and we want it to not be top-down and that sort of thing, they're using slides, even this masterful teacher. Mm -hmm. So basing it on what's actually happening, what are they actually using? And part of that work also was for the younger kids, the lower elementary, K-2, realizing that our program when I arrived was a little too didactic. The example that comes to mind is, there was a lesson on neuroplasticity, and I don't think the term neuroplasticity, you know, got used a lot, but it was in there. And a lot of these things just fly right over the kids' heads, Mm -hmm. even if you're not using a fancy term like that. And what kids uh, respond to and what they learn from, particularly at that age, are stories. Mm -hmm. My children go to uh, Denver Waldorf School, Huge emphasis on storytelling with the younger, the lower elementary kids. Yeah. So we created a whole series of stories, embedded the lessons in there. Mm -hmm. And one thing I think a lot about in education is are you struggling with the right tension? Mm -hmm. And it's not have you solved it, are you struggling with it? Right. And with those stories, we were struggling with how much metaphor to use because there's a lot of power in metaphor. Yeah. But it also can be very unsatisfying to particularly the adults if there's not a clear takeaway. So trying to navigate that tension. Not a
0: lot of French existential uh, (laughs) angst in the narrative. But something that might appeal (laughs) as adults who may like Swedish cinema and and see see Death and Olivier on the beach there. Not so much the type of narrative that you want to bring to a typical second grade class.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. A little French Existentialism meets Danny... Tiger, Daniel Tiger, there you go. Yeah, yeah. So, So that's the tensions we're wrestling with and knowing also teachers have limited time, so trying to make the most of the time that they, if they only have 20 minutes, making it count. And then another interesting tension is you're asking teachers to talk with their students about feelings, about relationships. And these are topics that usually belong to the mental health people in the building. Mm -hmm. And suddenly these teachers are asked to talk about topics that can make them and students sometimes feel very uncomfortable. And the tension at the core of this is you want to have those topics happen and build some relationships between the teacher and the students and between the students with those topics. But you also can't open cans of worms that right. you can't handle. Yeah. And so our program is trauma-informed, which really means that you don't trigger right. trauma right. In, in the classroom. Mm-hmm. So you don't ask a kid, let's talk about a time when someone you cared about was angry. right? Because that, that, that might be a story we yeah. really can't handle in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Even when I train teachers on this, I don't ask them, to do an assessment of their own trauma during that workshop. It's just, this is not the space. Uh, We're not going to be able to support you right there. Mm -hmm. So you're touching on the thing, but you can't dig in and and put the teacher and the student in a precarious position that they can't handle.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then how has we made it pretty far into the conversation until I I went deeper on the pandemic? But it is 2020, and you've been doing this for about a year. So you came Mm -hmm. on board in the previous normal. Mm-hmm. Then, then March of this year, around whenever the craziness started to happen in the U.S., around the, the lockdown, right on through, we're taping this in the beginning of uh, November. It's been a very tumultuous year. It's been a year where I, I think there's increased recognition of the need for social-emotional tools and ways to exhibit grace and be able to help the whole teacher. Is there anything that's emerging since you are delivering these programs? You have more of a direct line into where, where the collective zeitgeist may be out there. Any thoughts or experiences that you, you think uh, are relevant there?
1: Yeah, I think there's a, a very uh, clear tension in this too, mm-hmm. which is it's obvious that schools need to address social emotional needs right now. And when I talk with educators I say you we look at Maslow's hierarchy if the kids hungry
0: yeah
1: you're not going to get to the belonging level right. if they don't feel belonging you're not yeah. going to get to the love level you yeah. know and you just can't jump these levels yeah uh, whatever their need is the one you have to address and when there's an arousal continuum of your nervous system yeah. is it, if a kids moved up on that arousal continuum their cognition style Goes from abstract all the way to you know defensive, yeah. it's like and fight, they, or, they, fight
0: or flight, yeah, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's actually fight, flight, or freeze. Yeah. Now so they, they, they've added. Um, oh, there's a, there's so, a third
0: F. I know. Wow, There <laughs> why I brought you on. This is yeah, that's that, that's that's a trend. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, there's actually some controversy over freeze, whether it's um, sympathetic or parasympathetic. Mm. We'll let the the deeper uh, nerds go for that topic, <laughs> but anyway. So there's this clear need to meet social emotional needs. However, there are such huge issues around equity and just technical access, mm-hmm. instructional time. Yeah. And we are going to have a year, I i don't know if I'm a pessimist or a realist, I'd say two years yeah. where the kids who are not in great schools yeah. Are really gonna have learned very little mm-hmm. that we want them to learn. They'll learn something, yeah. but it's not necessarily what we intend. It was not the you know standards. Right. And I'm seeing just such struggles with that. So I feel for the administrators and I'm glad for what we offer because it seems like a good way to address this hey this will be easy to implement yeah uh in your very complex year yeah uh, but they're really struggling And in the beginning of the year there was just budget chaos too right, right. people didn't know how to what their needs were going to be plexiglass and
0: right. ppe
1: and all of that stuff sure um so that that settled down a bit and people see oh we can run schools and there is growing awareness of sel needs yeah but there's also just desperate feelings around the academics and for good reason. Um, yeah,
0: for sure. Yeah, the, it does feel like there will be le- learning loss. I think everyone's coming around to that reality and its question is how much can we catch back up once things settle into more of a new normal. I do think there is an opportunity around, and you were just touching on this, around actually increased learning around social emotional skills and the relevance of social emotional skills even the amount of class time that can be devoted to wellness and just those sort of base level feeling of safety, uh, feeling of belonging, understanding that we're going to perhaps be losing ground on the cognitive side. It does feel like there is an emerging awakening around the fact that education is not purely cognitive. Does that resonate with you? And do you see upside around this is a... The positive psychology aspect of existentialism here, where a big Viktor Frankl guy, you find meaning through suffering and the idea that we're all have the shared challenge of navigating a very difficult time is an opportunity. Any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, a lot of thoughts. For one, I just, in case there's someone who doesn't really know what social emotional learning is, let me give the 30 the second um, tutorial here. Yeah. So it, there are five, competencies within it, self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, um, relationship skills, and responsible decision-making. Yep. And those are come out of CASEL, mm-hmm. the, the guiding body in the States yep. for this. And it's interesting that this has become so popular. And I think there's a sort of a slippery a, or attractive line of thinking, which is, Things have gotten worse. Now we need to do social-emotional learning.
0: Right. It's at least a buzzword bingo opportunity, right? It's time sure, to sure. drop more social-emotional language into, the, into a conversation to show that you're at least playing with your head up.
1: Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And why is that? And so I think some people think, oh, kids these days, that kind of thing, or media and that. Right. Sure. I would guess that... Things have not gotten worse. We just are getting savvier and realizing where the gaps are. Mm -hmm. Like that's an argument about why we now see so many people with autism. There's a whole group of people saying, oh, it's environmental, but there's a whole other side saying we just now notice it more. Sure. Um, It's always been there. So with SEL, I think people are just realizing the issues. And for me, especially when I was in those high performing charter schools, I could get a lesson across. But... My kids would fall short in college because of soft skills and, and, and there's lots of things. and Not to put it on them, like usually they were people of color and they face a whole bunch of issues from being in a racist country. Anyway, there's this growing awareness. A program like ours is not the ideal. The truth is you want every moment with a child mm-hmm to be rich with all kinds of learning. Yeah. And in those moments should be academic learning and social and emotional learning. Right. I think the ideal use of a program like ours is you have once a week a lesson and then it gets integrated throughout and it gets integrated in various ways. Maybe if we're doing perspective taking you can think of tons of ELA applications, English language arts, where let's take the perspective of this character or that character, or how would you apologize? What would right. an I statement for all the people who've done marriage counseling, what would an I statement be right. um, for this character? There's lots of ways, or the science, our program has a lot of neuroscience stuff. Yeah. You know, let's get into that. So there's those kind of clear connections with academics, but there's so many more moments that are small moments that are huge moments, where it's someone struggling with a math problem, and you help guide their attitude towards that struggle. Yeah, yeah you're not getting that yet, but I've seen you learn other things. Mm-hmm. You, knew you can learn H- how you feeling with that struggle. Mm-hmm. Can you name it? Right. Can you name your emotion? Mm-hmm. And now you've just done growth mindset, yeah. neuroplasticity, mm-hmm. and emotional literacy. And so there's all of these moments during the day when adults, whether they be teachers or parents, can be modeling and engaging with kids in a way that they think is the best kind of social emotional learning. Mm -hmm. I'll say we are always teaching SEL. We are always relating to each other. We are always having emotions and managing them. Right. And a classroom is an intense place, yeah. especially mine where there's a lot of breakdowns. Yeah. There were for me. And kids come in. Yeah, there's just a lot of crappy days out there yeah. to be dealt with. So teachers are doing this always. And I think right. now we get this growing awareness. Mm-hmm. Hey, I want to do this in a way
0: that actually makes sense. Yeah. Teach something that like yeah. is research backed and yeah. be intention- isn't just w- yeah, be intentional about it I, I, and have the yeah. be equipped with the tools to be able to deliver something that's effective. And then, on the effectiveness front, the interesting question that keeps bubbling up when I have these types of conversations is measurement mm-hmm. and how do you understand? Castle and others are doing great work to start to solidify these are the main competencies. You could break that down into skills and things that probably mm-hmm. can be measured. But there's already in a measurement problem in K-12 around high-stakes testing. We both understand some of the, the complexities around testing. But how do you measure social and emotional wellness? And if you can't measure these things, how do you know that a program is effective?
1: The first thought that comes to mind is the emphasis on testing has maybe made clear the need for some social-emotional learning work too. Mm -hmm. When teachers are just having to drill, there's less room for rich inquiry-based learning Mm -hmm. that often includes naturally some social emotional learning work, working in groups, things like that. Mm -hmm. But when you're just going over sheets and learning test taking strategies, that's, there's not a ton of opportunity. There's some, but, Mm -hmm. and I think in the work I I did in Manhattan Prep Kaplan, we tried to integrate that. But anyway, so that's a bit of how we got to, oh, we better shift the needle. But We do, as you say, want to measure things because we don't want to waste our time and our money on stuff. There's been a lot of research on the efficacy of SEL in general. It's been shown to have an 11% increase or correlated with, all the st- statisticians listening will come out yeah, yeah. with their pitchforks, if I don't say that. It's highly correlated with 11% increase in academic achievement mm-hmm. and pro-social outcomes, you mm-hmm. know, reduced incarceration and college and all and things yeah. like that. So there's been a bunch of evidence. There's also evidence that it needs to be done school-wide, that teachers need to be supported, mm-hmm. and in integration with other things in the school. We're excited. We're exploring a partnership with an assessment company that does competency-based assessments digitally where it's actually the use of the SEL, which I'm really excited about because a lot of surveys, and including the one that we give to our uh, members, is a survey. The the assessment is a survey where the student self evaluates, the teacher evaluates the student, you do the beginning and the end, things like that. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited about this opportunity to work with someone who's seeing hey can you say what that kid is feeling in that picture right. or in this scenario what would you expect
0: Interesting.
1: yeah the the which of these options would lead to da 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 for responsible mm-hmm. decision making so they actually have to use this skill and show that they can use the skill in this situation so mm-hmm. i'm excited about that i do think they're back to tensions what you measure is what you care about. I think there's a cleaner way to say that. But at the same time, we're doing a lot of measurements of kids. And there's also a bit of art to SEL. It's not just, let's learn objective 14C. Yeah. It's also about building relationships in a holistic way mm-hmm. in the classroom and experience experiences together, which will translate to growth in all of those areas. I could imagine us going too far and over-assessing weekly or something yeah. like that and taking some of the human connection aspect out of it, yeah. which is what our program tries to do. We try to arm teachers, which is a dangerous phrase these days, but yeah. arm teachers with opportunities to connect with their kids yeah. in structured, positive ways, Yeah, which sometimes you know, some teachers are struggling to find ways to do that.
0: Yeah. And uh, it's interesting to think through how these programs are going to evolve over time. We're getting towards the end of the show. That's That's where I typically ask for you to look into your crystal ball. If you're looking ahead, what do you see on the horizon? Like it or not, the buzzword bingo, it's a leading indicator that something is reaching more broad awareness. And it does feel as though social-emotional learning. I like to sing, I get social-emotional, baby. So I try Mm. to do that at least once an episode. i waited until now to get it out there. So you're welcome, listeners, and apologies. What do you see on the horizon? What trends are emerging? maybe beginning within your domain, and then if there's anything further afield that's capturing your imagination.
1: First, all, I'll start out with a bummer. I think that we are going to get more and more evidence of the inequities in our society mm-hmm. as we learn more and more about what's happening in our schools. And I think better that we see it so yeah. we can address it. And I think that this pandemic is a another opportunity to see how different the experiences are of children of uh, color and uh, low income and whatnot. So I think there's going to be more and more clarity around that. I'm excited about what I was talking about around SEL assessment that is more in action assessment versus surveying I think that's going to be a growing trend Mm -hmm. I think pulling the lens back I'm really interested in what the high performing charter schools are doing and I got disillusioned at some point because I realized I would not send my kid to the schools I was working at they were using kinds of punishments that just didn't sit well with me and And the the firmness, the lack of of freedom of agency, it it was troubling. And I really love what those schools are doing. They're taking a hard look. Their people have pushed them on the racist ideas underneath some of their practices. And I think they're really taking a hard look at it. So I'm very excited about that. Mm -hmm. And those charter networks that open a school for kids with special needs and really taking those trends of data-driven instruction and intense teacher preparation and bringing in some things that might appear softer and a bit more understanding that we have to train teachers on trauma, but we have to have authentic ways for kids and students to connect. So I think there's a melding of, of worlds that's ahead. I also hope, and this is completely off topic of SCL, but see I hope to see more a return to apprenticeship for teachers. Mm-hmm. I think we've been throwing inexperienced teachers like I was into a yeah. classroom with so so little support mm-hmm. and the more we can give them authentic experiences to slowly build up their tool set is going to be better. And and I'm I'm hopeful that's going to be a a trend.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Treating teaching as a craft that requires the support and mentoring that any serious craft requires. Even remembering some of the work that I I saw you and team do at Manhattan Prep when we were both in the the Kaplan mothership, Mm -hmm. like the idea of, really building a unique culture centered around teaching is something that frequently because teaching is run at the school level, maybe the district level is the extent to which you can get those types of programs. You could see a real need there to treat this as a priority. And I could also see why organizations like the one that that you're running at Empowering Education Mm. can really fill that need because at an individual school level, classroom level, even at a district level, it's not like they're going to be able to focus on this with the level of care and attention uh, that you and team are, are providing. I think we're at the, the finishing thoughts. We got visionary there for a minute. Feel free to stay out there if you like or, or rein us back in. Take us wherever you want us to go. If folks want to learn more, uh, find out more about you or empowering education, any places to direct them, things to pay attention to?
1: Sure, empoweringeducation.org. Uh, okay, a place to learn about our program, and there's mm-hmm. uh, people want to try out our lessons. There's a free trial, and our stories. There's a, a book, Munchy and Jumpy Tales. Uh, oh, uh, you can get it at the bookstore. We're read have your to bring kids. You
0: back. I want more on this next time. But yeah, yeah. that's a good tease. Yeah,
1: but yeah. Um, you know, I, I'd say a whole other topic that uh, we could do a whole another session on is, you know, what we saw with since we worked at a test prep company we're mostly working with adults, or at least I was uh, yeah. for going to graduate school, the the surge of interest in not going to graduate school and instead just learning coding or yeah. uh, more discrete skills. I'm very curious how that's going to move down into K-12. Yes. I was at schools where there was an incredible focus on getting into college. Mm-hmm. But if there's a shift in- yeah. College is not actually a good investment for lots of people, not Mm. all places in the socioeconomic spectrum. What do we then do at sixth grade if it's not just get them to college? Maybe most of it will probably be the same, but I think there may be some shifts in learning what we consider important.
0: Interesting, great stuff. Noah Teitelbaum, the Executive Director of Empowering Education. Really uh, wonderful having you on the show. Thank you for joining us. And for our listeners, thanks as always for listening to Trending in Education. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe, tell a friend, visit us at trendingineducation.com. We're out there on Twitter. We're out there, hopefully, where you're looking for us. And we'll be back again soon. Thanks for listening.